Welcome to Credit Union Conversations Podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Credit Union Conversations. My name is Mark Ritter. I'm the CEO of MBFS and New Direction Lending. And this is the show where we like to dig into today's topics impacting credit unions and hopefully make your life a little bit better and give you some things to to think about. And joining me today is an old friend of mine and an expert in our business and one of the smartest men I know in our industry, Fred Ryersey, who is the Chief Lending Officer at Patriot Federal Credit Union. Fred, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mark. So we have known each other now 20 years, believe it or not. And our, so our history goes way back, but tell everybody a little bit about you, your background, and what you're up to today. So um, as Mark mentioned, I'm the Chief Lending Officer at Patriot Federal Credit Union. Uh, this is my 42nd year in financial services, started in 1980. And for the last 25 years, it's hard to believe it's been with credit unions, either with Members First, uh, where Mark and I shared a little bit of history, and the last eight and a half years at Patriot Federal Credit Union in uh, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. So I've been involved in every area of lending, mortgage banking, commercial lending, indirect. I sit on an advisory board for TransUnion, uh, talking about issues uh, relative to credit reports and how they can serve their community. Uh, and I've, I've participated on a couple of other national things uh, relative to General Lending Council and uh, NAFQ as well. Great. So when you started out your career in the 1980s, I was seven years old riding my bike around town and wasn't too concerned about the financial industries. Uh, but I l- always hear stories about these outrageous rates, what it was like. Uh, give me your times looking back on kind of that early to mid 80s interest rates. You were big into the mortgage industry at the time. What was it like? So I was a mortgage originator in Northern Virginia, which is quickly uh, in the late 80s became one of the hottest real estate markets in the country. But in the early 80s, when I started out, I was really too young to know that interest rates were bad. Um, it would just, and it was pure youth and 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 didn't know. So uh, when I started out, uh, we were doing a lot of government financing in Northern Virginia with VA and FHA, just proximity to uh, all the military bases and uh, interest rates uh, were, I remember going out with rate sheets at 15 and a half percent and five or six points okay? uh, and people were buying. Uh, it was it was kind of crazy. Uh, and I did very well, uh, in part because I didn't know that it was supposed to be bad. And it's it's kind of the lesson for now. Right. Is you know, looking looking forward is that, you know, with those high interest rates and those are super high interest rates. I don't think anybody's anticipating we're going to get back to that kind of a market. But we were just coming off with Paul Volcker raising rates dramatically in the early 80s in the, in the first year of the Reagan administration in order to cure inflation, which worked. Okay? And what happened from 1980 when I started to 1985, the early 80s, 
was interest rates fell. Right? They fell from you know the 17.5% mark, uh, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, but down to like the 13% mark, which is still incredibly high, but it's four percentage points better than what it was four years earlier right? uh, by the mid-market. And as those rates dropped, we saw a lot of mortgage production that people did. And it all had to do with asset values. Home prices were that much less back then because rates are so high. It was the way to cure inflation. They go hand in hand together. Now, obviously, houses in Northern Virginia and the D.C. area were a fraction. And, and, and I can't imagine what a fraction is. It was probably 5 to 10 percent of what that house sell, sold for back then versus what a similar house sells for today in that red hot market. I was doing homes in, in Prince William County, Virginia, Dale City. And uh, my average loan amount back then was $70,000. I mean, those homes today, okay, right, in Northern Virginia, those homes today right now are selling in the four to $500,000 range. And they're just modest three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath homes that were commuter market to the D.C. market. You could not buy a parking spot in uh, the Washington, D.C. area for $70,000 today. So it, it it must have just been fascinating to to with people paying a large percentage of their income towards these mortgages, but it really uh, it really was just a different time, different place, and and, and it worked, and people paid their mortgages, and it, 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 the world didn't fall apart. So we we refinanced a lot. Um, I, I had clients that I had refinanced four times as rates fell. Wow. Right. And when I look, uh, when I read my history books, one of the lessons that we look at from that time period is Paul Volcker and the Fed wanted to rip the Band-Aid off. They weren't going to go about this in little tiny increments that didn't really impact people. They just said, let's hit inflation and we're going to skyrocket interest rates. Uh, and, and for the most part, you know, once again, I'm going off of history uh, reading versus living. It worked. So what, what do you see as the lessons from that 80s uh, to the sky high inflations to 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 maybe what we can glean a little bit today's world. So what Paul Volcker did was reinforce how out front the Federal Reserve needs to be in instituting their twin mandate, which is they their twin mandate is control inflation and have full employment. Right? And sometimes those things don't go together real well, but that's the that's what their mandate is of the Federal Reserve. And so what Paul Volcker did was say, you know what, this inflation that we've been fighting the entire 70s and really starting in the late 60s okay, is not getting cured and it's getting worse. So many people remember the misery index okay, of the Carter administration of high unemployment and high inflation. Uh, but before that, with wage and price controls with Nixon, um, with uh, the Whip Inflation Now campaign or the Ford campaign, uh, there were many, many political solutions trying to be put in place. And Volcker says, we need to wring inflation out of the economy and we need to do it quickly. So he raised the uh, the Fed funds rate to dramatically high levels at 21% or so, and it was exceedingly effective. The lesson for today is that the Federal Reserve needs to stay on top of that. So in a rapidly changing environment that we are in right now of 
you know, we're uh, employment has returned. I mean, we were post COVID and all of a sudden the employment numbers, you know, everybody's looking for workers. So that part of the mandate seems to be in check. Right. So now you're looking at these inflation numbers you know, and all these different factors that are leading into this inflation numbers from commodity prices to wage inflation you know, and saying the Federal Reserve needs to stay in front of that. So with without risking the economy going into recession, there's a lot of times the Federal Reserve isn't that good at that. They, they, they raise rates and, and a lot of times. Uh, I think eight of the nine times that they've raised rates, at some point or another, there's been a recession. I think the re- threat of recession today is a lot higher than what it was three months ago uh, because of uh, the political uncertainty that's going on for the most part, okay? but the other factors in there on commodity prices and everything else. So um, the lesson today is the Jerome Powell and the, the rest of the Federal Reserve Chairman, they need to stay in front of this inflation. So for certain, we're going to have a quarter percent increase coming up here um, next week with the meeting of the Federal Reserve. I think we're in for another quarter in April as well. It seems 1% is at least baked into what's going to be happening. And and one of the reasons that, that I wanted to specifically talk to you uh, is that just for that perspective that that you're bringing to us, I am 49 years old, a credit union industry executive, and I have never lived through an inflationary period of any substance or a fast rising interest rate environment. And many of our when you, when you look around the table, uh, many of our, our industry has never lived th- through this, and we could we could get into some panic. We could get into some nervousness. We could overthink things a little bit. We could underthink things a little bit. But it would be fascinating to, to see our industry on the people and how we react to this and worrying about uh, some different factors and not focusing on the right things. So what are, what are your thoughts on this and, and, and life lessons for maybe the people and in a credit union today who's never, like myself, who's never lived through this? So the lesson of don't panic is that all, all things pass okay, is, is something that gets seared into you going through all the different cycles that I have been through in my career. Uh, is that there's always another side to this. There's a, there's a post-recession and a, a post-inflation side of this as well. The A little inflation, in a sense, is not a bad thing. I mean, especially for our business owners who are in the CRE market, right now CRE is, at least in my market, is doing exceedingly well from a value standpoint. And if inflationary pressures continue with that, it's going to create wealth to those owners and it's creating wealth on the homeowner's side as well. Many people are getting exceedingly wealthy just by the value of their home going up. I did an analysis on my own home the other day uh, to, to figure out that when I factor inflation and what my what I bought it for and what I could sell it for now, I've paid nothing for my house with my mortgage payment, absolutely zero okay? it, 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 to, to live there when I factor back the inflation. My message would be that you need to dust off those, you know, interest rate increases, okay, and how they affect your borrowers. Stay close to your borrowers. Okay? 
through the process. And every bar is going to be affected a little bit differently from the next, right? It's no different than the, the lessons that you have just in doing quality business lending to begin with. But the, the lesson here becomes even be more diligent about staying close to your borrowers okay, and understanding their cash flow concerns. In some cases, you're going to have borrowers that have increasing revenues because of inflation. They're able to charge more for their products and services. Paying attention to those ratios and how it's affected and staying exceedingly close okay, to your borrowers and understanding what risks are there. I think a lot of us at some point or another, uh, when we watch jobs, are going to be increasing the allowance side of it to say, you know what, eventually there's going to be some losses if there, there ends up being a recessionary environment. I will stress that right now today, as we speak, we're not in a recession. Okay? Um, and we may not ever get there despite everything that's going on, but the risk is higher. And so when when that risk and that unknown becomes a lot higher, uh, then, then you need to stay a lot closer to your borrowers. Much like you, I'm big into data and the call reports and what's going on in the industry in a macro level. Yep. And surprisingly today, two years ago, if you told me today we would be in record low delinquency numbers, I would have taken that bet 10 to 1. My biggest concern today is a return to what I'll call normal historical levels of delinquency is a big rise in delinquency, but it's just getting back to a normal time. So what, what are your thoughts on, I, I know at, at Patriot and other places that you see, you're seeing that. Uh, what, what do you think about future delinquencies? Because it can't go down, as you know. Yeah, we've, we've said that for a long time, that it can't go down and it keeps going down. Uh, but there is, a point of, there's a, there is a point of zero, right? Uh, so you're right. It's the, you know, we're all a product of our immediate past, right? And so when, when we look at a delinquency rate, I think we looked at ours and it's like 0.21 or whatever it is, it's incredibly low, okay? And if it goes to 0.5, okay, well, heck, it more than doubled. 0.5 is not bad. Right? No, you know, no, we'll, we'll take right? that. So we, we, we'll take that. We'll take that all day long okay, on on how we, you know, delinquency. The, the, the trick is where it's going, right? So if we just return, quote, normal, then you know, I, I think we can all manage that. Right? The trick is how far how far does that go up? And and to me, there's two there's two factors that I would look at on on the macro level. You know, I, I would be paying attention as we always do to jobs, right? If the unemployment rate stays low and people have jobs, they will continue to make payments through the business side as well as it is on the consumer side. And the other thing I pay attention to is I pay attention to the shape of the yield curve because that's almost always a telling sign about what's going on in the future. And so I pay attention to that two to tens. Right now that, uh, and I'm talking about the 10-year treasury securities to two-year treasury securities, that margin between those two numbers is incredibly low. It's not inverted, but it's super low right now. It's like a 0.23%. And that's always been a future sign of, of a, a recessionary environment. From an interest rate increase standpoint, okay, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, and this is super dynamic, is that the short end is definitely going up. And so things like car loans, and, and certainly we're going to see a raise in the prime rate uh, that's going to affect a whole bunch of 
credit instruments that we have outstanding. But we've not seen that increase in the mortgage market or in the long-term side at all. We're still sub 4% on 30-year fixed rate mortgages. So there's still capital out there that's not been subject to inflation. And that's because this yield curve is reshaping itself as we speak. If people are employed and they have jobs and an income, that's the first step. And in this factor of millions of open jobs, uh, uh, people increasing, that that will help us through this quite a bit. Absolutely. But the, at, at some point, the inflationary impact and the interest rates will, in, will, will soften things a bit. But the good news is it's not 1976. People have jobs today, which, which and, and, and which is very good for all of us. And jobs is jobs is absolutely the key to, to all of this. If people have jobs, they will find a way of making it happen. You saw that right now today, you know, if if I'm living uh, a little bit closer to the edge, uh, and my gas tank that cost me twenty five dollars to fill up three weeks ago now cost me fifty dollars. Okay? It may mean I don't go out to dinner one more time. Right. People will still survive. They'll still go through it. They still have the job. Okay? Um, but at some point or another, inflation has a way of creeping into the economy in many, many different ways. Okay? And it will affect their ability to pay off debt, will affect the economy in general and, bring, and, and slow the economy down. Let's role play a bit. Yep. So we've, we've been through this cycle enough dealing with commercial borrowers and people coming in. Somebody says, I think rates are going to go up. I really would like a longer term fixed rate from the credit union. Uh, so so let's uh, let's let's refinance or modify this loan. I really want a longer term rate. How do you handle that as the credit union and your philosophy in that balance? So that's that's just paying attention to our pricing models, right? And so for for us, you know, is I want to be profitable at any point on the curve, right? So if somebody wants to fix it for 10 years because they're scared rates are gonna go up, that I've factored in uh, my cost of funds okay, and what it takes to put 10 year money out there and the inevitable risk that I'm taking on from interest rate risk, okay, I factored it into my pricing models. So there'll be a premium price to the borrower for taking that option. And conversely, a premium to the borrower for taking a shorter option. And so if, if I'm trying to shape my balance sheet okay, with asset-sensitive instruments, I'm looking at you know, how do I price it appropriately to get the results I'm looking for on my, on my balance sheet that makes sense for both the borrower and for the credit. That's kind of a very philosophical answer to your question. But from the borrower standpoint, I just want to make sure my pricing models are in line with what I need from my balance sheet. What's going to be interesting to, to me is 2020 and 2021 were record volumes across the board. If you weren't doing well making loans, you will never do well making loans. That's right. <laughs> Many of these loans are at rock bottom rates. And we both saw terms, conditions from people in the marketplace, seven, 10-year fixed rates in the low threes. 
at some point, these will be underwater. And it's going to be interesting to see who can survive that and the impact to the credit union. Because three, four years from now, you could still have loans that you did at three and a quarter, three percent. And we didn't I didn't just see that just from the credit unions. I saw it from the banks as well. But in the banks, they're doing a lot more hedging of their funds. They're borrowing their funds, whereas in the credit union, they're lending their own money, and that cost is going to be driven up, and there's no hedge there involved, and there's no prepayment penalty. They're they're essentially locked into that money. So to me, it's going to be fascinating to see these next few years where people are going to have some of this portfolio where, you know, in the NFL, that would be dead weight on your salary cap. Uh, you're still making some money from it, but not as much as the rest of the portfolio. And how much do you have out there? Because you can't sell it. It's, it's on your books. So the fascinating side to that is how much we're paying for funds. If you think about it, and I'm going to draw right of the moment, right? You know, if I have $100,000 to invest right now, I could put it in, in the stock market. Well, that seems like a super risky bet right now today, right? With what's going on. So where am I dropping those funds right now? Well, I might be dropping, even with rates, the, the Fed's raising the rates, okay? I may still drop that at the credit unit. So one of my concerns right now is actually somewhat the opposite of that interest rate risk, at least short term, right? Is that we might see an excess of funds come in. It's cheap right? That I can still lend out. And so my model of maintaining my net interest margins is going to hold up over time. To your point though, three years from now, that, you know, if there's three and a quarter percent, you know, 10 year money that's now still got seven years left on it. Okay. And I'm forced to pay 4%, you know, on the deposit side, okay. That's a losing proposition. Um, And so one of the strategies that we have right now is, extending out our CDs a little bit, okay, to try and lock some of the money up, okay, with a little bit higher rate, okay? In theory, that rates are going to go up, okay? So, we're running a little bit more specials on our one, our 18-month CDs and our two-year CDs and our three-year CDs in order to start, grab some of that capital, okay, at a fairly cheap cost of funds, okay, in order to keep lending out and stay profitable in the, in, in the process. So it's, it's, it's ALM modeling, and, and it's just making sure you're, you're disciplined in your ALM modeling to understand your cost of funds, along with how asset sensitive you are with your, with your uh, debts. So let's hope nobody listens to this in 2023, uh, but let's take <laughs> some guesses on 2022 on where you th- what, what, what do you think the lending market is like? I, I think autos will be as much as the industry can put out there in supplies. Mortgages will be steady and business will be strong, but not booming. What do you think on 2022? So I think uh, cars will be incredibly strong as long as we can keep producing them. There's still a lot of pent up demand. And we are certainly seeing it um, in our own shop and that our, our car loans are booming right now. But it's highly dependent on inventory and, and, and the production of that inventory. 
On the mortgage side, I see first mortgages slowing down hard. I, I think people that could have refied already did, and this little bump in rates, okay? Um, and we have massive inventory problems still on the first mortgage side. We have not seen a return of houses on the market uh, like a normal spring yet. Now, knock on wood, it's March the 10th. You know, um, by the end of the month, you know, maybe there's a whole bunch of people that are saying, yeah, you know what, I really want to move or I really want to do something different. There's no inventory and hardly any houses being built in a lot of different market areas, all of which right, creates demand but may not translate into mortgage volume. And we've already seen a slowdown, and, I, and I'm not alone. That's nationwide. We've seen a slowdown in mortgage origination. On the home equity side, we've seen a dramatic increase. And people using their, their equity in their house, especially with housing inflation, they developed more equity. And it's a cheap way of borrowing money for home improvements, for sending your kid to college, for uh, doing all kinds of things, consolidating debt. And we've seen a dramatic increase in the home equities. And I think it will remain very, very strong for uh, 2022. Business lending, I concur with what you just said. Okay? I think it's going to be steady. I think there's there, there's people still looking at projects and, and trying to get them off the ground. And the 81, where I am on, on the 81 corridor, uh, is incredibly strong with the logistics business and all the ancillary business that kick off from the logistics business. And we see that um, as steady, not booming. Okay, um, do the process. And, and so I see 2022 right now, absent some shock of some sort, pandemic, World War III, pick, pick the shock uh, that, that could possibly happen that we've all now become accustomed to. Uh, but absent any shock, um, I, I see that as pretty steady. So I'm, I'm anticipating overall a good year for lending. Well, Fred, me and you could go on for hours talking credit union talk, the world and lending talk, but uh, I think it would bore the people on this show. So we'll have to start wrapping things up here. But before we go, tell me about something good that's happened at the credit union, uh, maybe over the last year or two that, that you guys are proud of. So I thought about this. The One of the success stories we have is, is one of our business loan customers. And he started out this business, actually two guys, you know, uh, and I won't give the name of the company because I don't have permission to give it. But it was two guys in a warehouse that they were renting. Okay? And they supply commercial printers up and down the East Coast. And they started out with a loan from Cabbage okay, at an incredibly high rate. Okay? And happenstance would be that I ran across them. They you know, kind of applied here. It was, it was really kind of a, a happenstance conversation as a lot of these things start out. And I happened to be at a federal home loan bank seminar where they were talking about their banking on business loan, and it had a 0% rate. And I realized these guys qualify hands down for this product, right? So we quickly created it, okay? Gave them this 0% loan. It was only 0% for like three years, okay? And their business has boomed right through the pandemic. They have since bought the real estate, okay? They've expanded their operations. We have now a uh, a few hundred thousand dollars on deposit they keep with us and a four million dollar loan relationship uh, that's kicking off revenues and they couldn't be more tickled okay, with the credit union and our initial jump in and taking an interest in their business okay, and consulting them on what their lending needs are one of our absolute success stories here at patriot um, and this business sits like right around the corner for our office okay? so it's, it's it's a great story 
Well, that that's a great example of finding the solutions that are out there and bringing them to people, uh, whereas yep. other people could have but didn't. So, yeah, Fred, I enjoy our conversations as always. I, I hope uh, people listening to this picked up a few items. But uh, for those of you listening, please go ahead and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And you can check me out, Mark Ritter, at markritter.com, and that'll give you connections to MBFS, New Direction Lending, and all the different things we have going on. Thank you, and everybody remember to tell people that the best bank in town just might be a credit union. Thanks, and have a great day. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markritter.com for more information.